Hello there and welcome to episode number 404. And if you're like me and you remember Strong Badge, you hear nothing but 404 in your head right now. Sorry about that. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches, Trashy Books. And with me today is Carly Bloom. We are going to talk about writing cowboy rom-coms, about small communities that include really annoying people, and the reality of ranch life. No one walks around with their shirt open and their abs hanging out. You believe that? I cannot believe that. We also take a non-spoilery dive into her latest book, Cowboy Come Home. So if you're looking for your next read, this book might make you very happy. We also talk a little bit about her homemade book cover for Cowboy Come Home, and I've linked to it in the show notes if you'd like to see it. It's hilarious. You can find that at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Into Her by J.A. Huss, available now at audible.com. And I have a sample of it at the end. It's a very spicy audiobook, so you get a very spicy sample at the end of this episode. Woohoo! Into Her is an erotic menage with a lot of heat and a lot of angst from New York Times and USA Today bestselling author J.A. Huss. Huss has been on the New York Times bestseller list and on the USA Today bestseller list, and five of her books have been optioned for TV by MGM Television. Plus, two of her books have been nominated for voice awards, too. In Into Her, Hitmen AJ and Logan are professional monsters, and they spend a sexy night stranded with their mark, Yvette. That was not in the plan. But one night changes everything, and soon they find themselves plotting a way out of the job and out of the mob. AJ, Logan, and Yvette are brought to life by Savannah Peachwood, Teddy Hamilton, and Tad Branson, and reviews are extremely positive. Wendy on Amazon says, if you have not read anything by J.A. Huss yet, this is the perfect book to start with. Lots of sexy, lots of angst, lots of keeping the reader guessing. You can find the audiobook available now by Into Her by J.A. Huss on audible.com. And remember, at the end of the episode, I have a spicy, spicy sample for you. I also have compliments in this episode, which makes me extremely happy. First... To Ashley B., you are the human personification of the feeling you get when you take the deepest breath and exhale every stressful cobweb floating around your brain space. That is how you make people feel. And to Cleo M., your smile and that thing you do with your hands when you laugh makes people feel seen, feel safe, and sometimes feel uncommonly happy. If you would like a compliment or you would like information about how to support this here show, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at a dollar. Wilbur is jumping around my office. And you're making every episode accessible to everyone with each pledge, which is deeply appreciated. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. And hello and excellent bait good wishes to you, my Patreon community. I also have a game to tell you about. Heads up. If you are looking for a fun way to pass the time while engaging your brain and enjoying a fun and adorable story with adorable creatures, your answer is Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a casual game that anyone can play, but it's made for adults. Each level is part of a larger story world and involves a puzzle to solve before you advance to the next level. Leveling up is a lot of fun, and it's pretty difficult to stop playing once you start because... You just want to do one more level because you'd be the last one. And the next one is just as challenging. I ended up playing about 20 levels while waiting outside for a takeout recently. And I have gone back and done like 20 more. It is 
really fun way to pass the time. And I had bugs and swiping puzzles to solve and characters are talking to me. So it was really kind of an engaging multi-brain experience. Not that I have multiple brains, but it engaged my brain on multiple levels. You can engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. With over 100 million downloads, trust me, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or in Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. I will have information at the end of the podcast about where you can find Carly Bloom. I will have a really, really bad joke because that's how we roll here. And of course, all of the books we talk about will be linked in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. But for now, let's do this podcast episode right here. 404. On with my conversation with Carly Bloom. Hi, I'm Carly Bloom, and I write the Once Upon a Time in Texas series, and which is um, cowboy rom-coms. So I like to say my rom-coms wear 10-gallon hats. Nice tagline. Thank you. I did like your uh, recent homemade book cover with the six pack of beer. <laughs> that was inspired. Yes, it was. And it was inspired because I had zero cooperation here on our ranch. I asked every man if they would help me recreate the book cover, but nobody right. would cooperate with that. So I had to go for literal interpretation with an actual six pack. So. So you live on a ranch, and are you telling me that the cowboys do not walk around with waxed, shiny, six-pack abs, shirts open, and and hair perfectly coiffed, and very, very, um, very smooth on the chest? You're you're telling me that's not the reality that you deal with on the day-to-day basis? There is no waxing going on here. And um, See, all of my fantasies are crushed now. I know. I hate to be the person who did that for you. But that's okay. I need to know the truth. My husband doesn't even wear a, a cowboy hat. He, what? How you know, is that allowed? It's it's not. He's doing it wrong. I tell him all the time he's doing it wrong. I show him exhibit A, which is my book cover. He wears he does wear boots and and often he wears them with cargo shorts and a red hot chili peppers t-shirt. So that's a completely different book cover. It's a completely different book cover. Somebody's doing it right. Somebody's doing it wrong. That's all I'm saying. I do not quite understand how he missed that memo. I mean, you are in Texas, correct? We are. We are in South Texas. Yes. So no one's walking around with a wax six pack? Like of of abdominal muscles, not like they put wax on the six pack of beer. I mean, if you need to wax (laughs) your beer, that's fine. You you do what you do. You need to do. I'm so just, just disheartened. Yeah, the, the, I'm, the, I'm the, sorry. Your, your community isn't supporting you in this way. I'm sorry to be the bearer of such bad news. And people who haven't seen that homemade book cover have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> I will link to it. Fear not. <laughs> <laughs> so your latest book is Cowboy Come Home. Congratulations on Thank its release, you. by the way, during during the quarantine, which is just when you want to release a book. Yes. Um, it, it is a whole mix of contemporary genres because you you mentioned that your, your cowboys are rom-coms. Can you tell me about your book and what led you into this story? Well, the book is about, it is a rom-com, but it's also got some pretty deep, deep layers. Um, A a recent reviewer started out by saying, wow, there's a lot going on here. And I was like, (laughs) 
Oh, that's one of those that can go either way, but it went it went in a good way. But um, it's about a, a wandering cowboy. He he doesn't stay in one place. He goes from ranch to ranch to ranch, and um, he is called back to a big ranch in the Texas Hill Country um, to help to help a rancher who he really admires, who's um, ranch is in trouble, and he had a relationship prior with the rancher's daughter, who is Claire Kowalski. Mm-hmm. So he he comes back with a really strong goal of keeping his pants on for six weeks. He can do it for just six weeks. Um, I hate spoiler alert. Ford does not keep his pants on, but um, he has a cat. <laughs> he has a cat instead of a cow dog and. Claire's dad, who's who's the, the the rancher he works for, refers to the cat as that other four-legged situation. Cowboys don't usually have cats. Anyway, the the inspiration for um, the book actually there's a, a real town in the Texas Hill Country that I love. This is a place that we often go and we rent a little house on the river, and it's just beautiful. And in my mind, my fictional town looks very much like this town. And they had a catastrophic flood um, Mm -hmm. a few years ago. And so Cowboy Come Home starts out with a flood. And um, so the town is going through a rebuilding phase, which um, they really come together to to rebuild the town and save the library that, that was damaged. And it's based on watching this other little town in real life rebuild after that happened. And it gives a, a great meet cute because Claire has envisioned all the ways that she's going to run into Ford now that he's back. And she's envisioned doing all the things that we think about doing when we see that guy that we've been thinking about. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing she hadn't prepared for was being saved in a flash flood. And that's, that's how, that's how it starts out. He saves her. One of the things I noticed with these characters in the book is that uh, sex is not the problem for them. No, I mean, it, they're trying not to have sex. Yes, yes, they're trying they not to have sex. Really horny pants. Um, yeah. But the things that is the things that are hard for them are the little intimacies, like playing Scrabble or watching a movie or kissing on the cheek. It's like a really big deal for them, and those are really hard difficult things for them to achieve because they're not there's all of these things standing in the way of their having a relationship plus horny pants correct and i think it's because those those little things are the moments that you're actually vulnerable to real feelings outside of physical feelings so if you just really want to be with someone because you like playing Scrabble with them, which isn't because you like Scrabble, because you really like being with someone, that that's opening yourself up to actual feelings of connection that if the other party doesn't reciprocate those feelings of connection, that's real loss. And so, yeah, they have a harder time um, trying to deny those feelings than they do their sexual attraction for each other which they, they use kind of as a crutch to deny the real feelings because they both have them and they've both been hurt by them. And that vulnerability is, 
it's scary for both of them, both to be vulnerable and to actually witness the other person's vulnerability. Like each of them is used to seeing the other in a different light than how they sort of slowly reveal themselves to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly it. You never know what, we can't be in each other's heads. And so we just have to judge from what is spoken and, and um, what we see and hear. But that's the cool thing about, about writing. And of course, for the reader too, is that we do get to be in their heads. So the reader knows always what's really going on, what they're really thinking. And you're just rooting for it to come out. You know, you're just like, let that come out the mouth. Let that come out the mouth. <laughs> but none of us do that. And and so it's kind of cool to be able to really see and feel the vulnerability of a character and then watch how how it plays out and what they say and do and how much how much is actually missed. So I love I love bringing readers into the heads of my characters, and I mm-hmm. think that's um, that's what makes my heroes feel vulnerable because that comes up all the time that I write vulnerable heroes, and for a long time I didn't really understand what that meant because I didn't feel like I mean everybody's heroes are vulnerable. That's writers exploit that. That's what we do. And so I didn't understand how mine appeared somehow more vulnerable, but I really think it's because I'm just in their headspace so much and they're mm-hmm. really self-aware of their vulnerabilities. So they're thinking about them a lot. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's based on a little bit of my own um, obsessive voice in my head, but that <laughs> my, my endless overthinking, but um but I think that is what makes them vulnerable is that we're just always in their headspace and we know what their, what their real thoughts are versus what they're saying or how they're behaving in ways to try and cover them up. Yeah. One thing I liked about Ford was that he was emotionally aware and also emotionally aware of what he was doing with his emotions, which was to not deal with them. <laughs> like does. I am feeling a feeling and he, he doesn't take it out on other people. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get angry or, or react with rage that he's feeling vulnerable. He's like, I am having a feel. I will yeah. now mount my horse and ride out into the country and do some really difficult labor to deal with this feel because that's how I deal. He's not immature about it, but his coping mechanisms are no longer working because with Claire, he's got way too many feels to manage and there's not enough fence to repair to deal with all those feels. Correct. And, and his biggest problem is that he doesn't want to connect with his emotions. And the result of that is that he's endlessly connected to his emotions. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to try really hard not to think about pink elephants. Oh, damn. That's exact. That's exactly, exactly how he is. Yeah. You can tell I've been in therapy. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. It. Yeah. So with the with the scenes with Claire and Ford where they have these little intimate moments and they're like, oh, crap, you're a person. You're not just this person for whom I am horny. You have this whole other set of, of layers and interesting pieces. Were those scenes really fun to write? Um, yes, they were fun to write. And um, I, like, I like the give and take. I, I really like the part where they take turns stopping things. Every time things start to get out of hand, one of them takes a turn to put an end to it. And then, of course, they forget whose turn it is. But um, 
One thing I like, and, and I realize now that I've done this in all of my books, there's always a point where the hero looks at the woman and it could be like when they're about to kiss or it could be like when they're having fun or something has just happened. And for that moment, he actually sees her like mm -hmm. as she is the parts of her that she wants to be seen. And then there's an acknowledgement by her of being seen like, oh, my God, he sees me. Um, he sees the things that I am, that I'm strong, that I'm independent, that I'm smart, like really, really sees their strength. I will always have the man really see her strength and then have that that relief that that she's been heard and she's been seen. Because I think uh, for women, a lot of times we don't feel heard and seen. So for me, that's like a huge turn on. Mm -hmm. And um, to be seen and hurt. And so and recognized. I always, yeah. yeah, to be recognized. I think in Big Bad Cowboy, I think that's actually the term that Travis uses. He says, I recognize you. And I think with Ford, he says, I, I see you. And I, I just, I love that moment. And I'll always have that moment. And I'll, I also don't like, I, I, you know, you were talking about how Ford deals with his emotions without being a jerk to anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I will not write a guy who we have to redeem that sort of thing. They're just, they actually are good at heart. And that's, that's just it. It's not, it's nobody's, um, responsibility to change them. I won't ever write like a bad character and then she's got to change him. It's not, on, that's not our responsibility. That's not on us women. So, so I just don't, I just don't do that. I won't, I will always have them deal with their emotions in ways that aren't harmful. Mm -hmm. to other people. Which is, I think, very important because romances especially deal so intimately with the intricacies and the nuances of emotion. Yeah. That you have to be able to deal with them as a adult in order to earn a valid and satisfying relationship at the end of the book. Like that's part of the job of the book to convince the reader that these people can handle things. Right. Right. And I just feel like nobody can do anything that's that's um not going to be redeemable because mm -hmm. <laughs> because then yeah. I'm going to write an ending where she walks out the door. I started this series right when um Me Too was really, you know, ramping up. And mm -hmm. so it's just really aware of of uh the motivation of the heroes and how they reacted and how they spoke, but even more importantly, how they thought. Like, like they think highly of women. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happens in the book is that Claire has to come to terms with the fact that her family ranch, which is a sizable operation, is in danger. And it's never a question of, can I do this job? It's, do I have all the necessary skills? Right. And does she want to do the job? Yeah. Does she want to take on this work? And none of the other characters question her ability or her competence because she's female. They question, are you sure this is what you really want? Because th that ties you to this place permanently for home and job. And living where you work is challenging if you want to go see other parts of the universe. Like that's really hard. It's never a question of, oh, well, she's a girl, so she can't do it. Right. I won't write that. I won't no. write that. And I won't have my um, my 
male characters having those thoughts, because to me, those are thoughts that I can't redeem. And I feel like, you know, this is my world. I'm in charge. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to be in charge of a world, you're going to make it the way you like. like. I'm writing this man. I'm making him. And he is going to turn out the way that I think all men should be the end. So, yeah. Okay. So do you have a favorite scene in this book? Um. I do have a favorite scene and it's um, I think my favorite scene is after they all get kicked out of Tony's honky tonk (laughs) for fighting for fighting and, and not just the guys who fought, but the everybody associated with them, pregnant ladies, librarians and beauty Queens all out kicked out. And um, they go back to a friend's house and they are um, just socializing and mingling with their friends who are starting to see them as a couple before they acknowledge that they're a couple. And everybody else has seen the writing on the wall. And um, I just love, I love my community that I built. I love all those characters so much. And they're, they're super, super supportive of their friends. And, and I like to write dialogue. So if you get me a scene where there was like a lot of people talking and lots of conversations happening, that's like, that's my happy, happy place. So I like those scenes. One of my favorite scenes, and I won't get into the details because it's very, very late in the book is the conversation about making a plate. <laughs> that was that was easily one of my favorites. But I'm I'm glad you mentioned the big community because one of my notes was that you have a really large group of characters in this book and in the previous book. All of them have powerful personalities. They are all distinct. Was was that was that a challenge? I mean, like what do your character notes look like? Do you have a guiding theme for each person that sort of influences their their dialogue? How do you keep them all distinct? I don't have like a written guide, but that's a really idea, good idea. I probably, probably, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm a people person. I have five kids. Um, that's a lot I, of humans in your house. I live in the same small town that I grew up in. The, the ranch that we live on belongs to my husband's family. We live in the house that his dad and uncle built, you know, with their own two hands. So I think when you stay in one place a while, you get a really big community built up of people you know well that you've known your whole life. And so that's normal for me. And mm-hmm. I think that um, that this group of people in my book, you know, they're not they're not necessarily based on real people. Like you can't say Baba is based on this person. But he's definitely a conglomeration of people I know in real life. All of them are. For me, they're they're real people and I know them like I know my own family and I don't have a hard time keeping them keeping them straight. One of the things I also thought was interesting within the community is that there are people who are not particularly nice. But you deal with them anyway because there aren't that many people and you you can't really leave anyone out. Exactly. You're not going anywhere. There's there's only a handful of you. So and you have to tolerate and put up with the people who are annoying or judgmental or snide and you just got to roll with them. Exactly. And you know what that's that absolutely is how it is in a in a small town. You can't avoid that person in the grocery store. 
you're nope. going to see them. So you better watch out what you say to them on Facebook because tomorrow can be really, really awkward in the produce style. But um, yeah. And, and you I, have to know who you can gossip with too because you oh, can't absolutely. talk shit easily at all. And I, I assume you're talking about Anna. And Anna, mm-hmm. Anna is, yeah, she's, I like to think of her as the Nellie Olson of this series. That's, <laughs> that's a you know, really good and, analogy. That and fits. They all, everybody, everybody in, on Little House on the Prairie had to deal with Nellie. It's not like you could go somewhere and she wasn't going to be there. So, and, and, you know, I would love to write a book for Anna someday because I just love redeeming a really prickly heroine and she really needs to be put in her place and that could be really really fun but even Anna is a good guy at heart like if you remember on Big Bad Cowboy you know she had her moment she has her moments she's not all bad and she will move considerable amounts of effort to make something happen that is for the community even as she will outwardly pretend like she doesn't care. You don't do that much work if you don't care at all. She does get a lot of attention for it though, Sarah. So That is true. That is true. <laughs> and she's good at it. Like they're all like, we can't stand her. She's annoying, but she's really good at this. So we'll get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Now it says in your bio that you are descended from ranch foreman. And you mentioned that your family, you know, built some of the buildings that are on your, on your property. What is a ranch foreman's job like? Um, well, my grandfather and my uncle were ranch foremen for really big um, ranches. My mom was born on a ranch outside of El Paso, and the ranch was so huge and so far away from anything that she didn't go to school. They had a governess who lived on the ranch that taught her and the other kids of workers who, who were on the ranch. Wow. But, um, so she went, she didn't start school until um, her dad retired and they moved to Uvalde, Texas. And when she was in high school, and that's the first time she had ever like actually been to a school. So um, um, the job of a foreman is basically to manage, to manage the ranch. You've got a ranch owner who's usually the, the so-called manager, the big boss. But the foreman manages um, what needs to be done. He makes sure that there's a crew to do it. If we're replacing fence lines, you know, he'll be in charge of that. He knows when the cattle need to be moved. So he's just like, he's basically the supervisor of all the ranch hands, of all the cowboys. And that's a massive undertaking. For a big ranch, it is. Um, You know, our ranch is very, very small. It used to be um, a peanut farm. And um, they don't raise crops here anymore. Now we just have have cattle. And it's more the size of Happy Trails and Big Bad Cowboy than it is <laughs> the 12,000-acre ranch and, and Cowboy Come Home. But um, like out in West Texas, the ranches are huge. I mean, tens of thousands of acres because you need so much um, land just to support one, you know, one cow. So the ranches are huge. And so it can be a really big, a really big job. That is a massive job. And it's, and it's a very serious job. Like it's, I, I grew up in cities and in places where there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of services and a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of respect for people who live in places where if you're stupid, the land will kill you. Yeah, exactly. 
And the ranch foreman has to be aware of all the ways in which the land is trying to kill them. Right, right. And the animals, too, because they, they often get ornery. Right. And, and, and um, Texas, you know, water, everything is water. So you, the cattle, where they're going to be and where the crops are going to be, everything is about the weather and water to keep, to keep them watered. So that's why cattle are often moved around from one spot to the other, depending on where the water is, where the crops are growing. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Your bio also notes that you, well, I have vegetarian and vegan living on a ranch mm-hmm. and, and you're in quarantine. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? Well, my earliest childhood memory was of being on a pier fishing with my dad and he had a, a stringer of fish and they were alive, you know, in the water. And mm-hmm. I, I just remember being so sad and crying and I kept trying to get him to set him free and he wouldn't. And so when he wasn't looking, I did it. Oh no. And, um, <laughs> My dad hardly ever got mad at me. And that's probably why I actually remember that memory so clearly is because he did get really, really mad. So um, I, I, you know, I have a, a huge heart for suffering and things like that. So I've never been a super comfortable meat eater. Mm-hmm. So uh, vegetarian was easy, but going vegan um, was harder. You know, I gave up all dairy products, eggs, all of that. And mm-hmm. I did that for, I did that for quite some time. So when, um, when the first book in the series came out, I was like full blown, holier than thou, better than everybody vegan. Absolutely. And I fell off the wagon about a year ago, um, in regard to cheese, I was going to say it was cheese, wasn't it? It was absolutely cheese, which, you know, I've read something about how cheese like releases the same hormones as like drugs as like crack. And I, that's true. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, right now during quarantine is not the time for Carly to try and give up cheese. It's just not. And I even, you know, we're having to do strange things to get groceries right now. And um, I, I, I went to like a restaurant supply to get something that I needed. And I ordered casually like a little bag of cheese because I thought, well, the kids will use it for quesadillas or whatever. It's like, it's like a dog food bag size of shredded cheese. <gasps> oh, Yes. And so I just feel like, you know, this is not the time to waste that, Sarah. So No, you cannot. You cannot waste things. Nope. Yeah. And I've been getting, I, I went to, um, you know, toilet paper, toilet paper issue. We did get bidets. Mm-hmm. I had the foresight when I saw how all this was going to go down. I ordered some bidets um, from Amazon. I understand you can't even get them now. But anyway. No, they're hard to find. Yeah. You still, a girl still needs some toilet paper, right? So, um I recently over the weekend bought toilet paper at a Mexican food restaurant and, um, <laughs> as, as you do, as you do. And when the lady brought it out to my car, she took one look at me and she said, mama, you need a margarita. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, I'm I like, do. <laughs> what gave me away the fact that I'm buying toilet paper at a Mexican food restaurant. Yes. I need, I could use a margarita, <laughs> but these are strange, strange times. They are very strange. Now, you mentioned that you live on a smaller ranch, but I imagine it's much larger than most people's properties. What do you do on your ranch? What are you, do you farm? Do you grow? Do you cattle? Do you have all of these things? 
it's cattle. We have cattle. And um, it's it's um, a little under 150 acres, but it used to be a lot bigger. Um, mm-hmm. My uh, father-in-law, my husband's one of six kids, and they all live around here too. So right. like all the adjacent property used to be part of this place. And so like from from our property, I can see two of his sister's houses. I mean, they're far away. It's not like neighborhood. Right. You can see them. Two of his sister's houses, his nephew's house, his niece's house, his aunt and uncle are across the way. So it's like one big, huge chunk of land on the San Antonio River that is um, close to the river, not on it anymore, that it belongs to um, his family. And we have three bodies of water here on the property, including a pretty big pond. We just got my, my son just had his 16th birthday and we got him a kayak. So, Oh, um, what a cool gift. Happy birthday to him. Yeah. And he's actually living his best life. He's a huge introvert. Everybody was like, oh, poor Jasper's having to have his birthday during quarantine. I'm like, he's loving it. This is his favorite party ever was a non-party. But anyway, every evening I go down to our lower pond with him. Um, which, you know, you can drive or you can walk, but we drive because we're, we're dragging his kayak and he kayaks and ice and fishes. He fishes while he's kayaking. And I just um, sit there and, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to have that right now. And I'm really, really, really aware of the people who don't mm-hmm. and who might need that feeling of getting out and feeling normal because, you know, when you're down there, there's, there's nothing going on. There's no virus. There's no quarantine. The, the cows don't know it. The, the frogs that start croaking don't know it. The fish don't know it. Bats, we've got a lot of bats out here. Everything just feels so crazy normal Mm -hmm. for like that hour. And I have that every evening with him and I'm, I don't know what I'd do if I, if I didn't have that. Yep. For me, it's, it's walking my dogs every day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I live in a pretty populated area. I'm right outside DC in Maryland, but I can slow down. I can take a walk. There are not a lot of people walking. And when we do come across each other, we all go through these weird paths to be stay six feet apart. Yeah. But the dogs don't care. The dogs are like, oh, hey, it's walk time. This is great. Let's go do the thing. And it happens every day. Um, and while the days can sort of blend together, for them, it's like, oh, it's walk time. Let's go see the world and pee on half of it. Sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> and that little bit of normal is very reassuring. I know just what you mean. Yeah, it is. It is. And then it's jarring when you come out of it. Yes. It's, when you surface again, it's like, oh, whoa. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how I feel every morning when I wake up. Yes. Every, every single morning when I wake up and I, I'm unaware that I do this, but my husband says the first word out of my mouth is the F word every morning. Like before, <laughs> I, before I've even opened my eyes, oh, I start fuck. with that. And then, yes. And then the next thing we do is argue over what day it is. That's our, that's our routine now. <laughs> it's the 75th of, it's yeah. the 75th of April, Majin, and uh, it's <laughs> when third for day. That's yeah, we're it. just going to make up days of the week. That's what day it is. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You have to, how do you know? And then when I realize I have something scheduled on that day and you just panic, wait, but was it yesterday? Did I miss it? And Oh, yeah. 
uh, Estelle, your publicist, emailed me and said, "Here, here's some, here's some suggested talking points for your conversation tomorrow." And I was like, "Oh, this is great! Thank you." Um, I have it for two days from now on Thursday. She's like, yeah, okay, it's fine. I just don't know what day it is. I'm like, but are you sure? Because I also don't know what day it is. And we could be talking about the wrong month entirely. I would not know. Like, not at all. No. Okay, that's a weird thing that I'm experiencing too, where I don't know what month it is. Nope, no idea. Uh, Everything's running together. We don't have our, our little cues that usually tell us it's so obviously this month because this mm-hmm. is happening. None of those things are happening. I don't, I'm like, I know, I'm like, I know it's not winter. Like that's the best I can do. <laughs> I know it's spring because pollen is like covering my car and my car is no longer blue. It's green. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we have that going on too. And is I it bluebell season there or is that already passed? It's passed and, and it's blue bonnets. That's blue bonnet. Talking. I beg your pardon. Bluebells are something else. Um, but um, yeah, and we did not have any this year on the ranch, and that is the first time I can remember that ever happening. Um, other other spots in Texas have have had some beautiful showings, but we usually have a, a one field that's about twenty five acres that mm-hmm. will be like solid, solid, and you know we didn't have that this year because we had a, a really brief early warm spell that followed some rain. And so they all got super excited and they, they came up and then it got cold again. So nature faked them out this year. Yeah. Well, maybe by next spring, we'll know what day it is and what month it is and you'll see them again. Yeah. It's almost like they don't know either. Right. Like they don't know what's going on. Yeah. Who the hell knows? knows? I was told by Estelle that I specifically needed to ask you about writing awkward sex scenes. (laughs) Thanks, Estelle. Um, (laughs) I do love an awkward sex scene. I just sex is super awkward. (laughs) Well, and the thing is, you know, I mean, there's only so many places you can put that thing. It's not like I'm gonna like I'm gonna invent a new sex, right? So so and and it's really actually hard to describe sex. I know I, it's, it's a, it's oh, not, so good I sex is very difficult to write. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm necessarily all that, that great at that. And so, um, so again, I, my character, you're going to be in there, my character's heads and our heads are like really weird places to be during sex. I just write funny ones and, and something is always going to happen because you know, you know, everybody's going to have mind blowing orgasms more than one possibly. Right. Yeah. And I just feel like we need to bring some levity in to like help people suspend their disbelief in that regard because you know, we yeah. we we so so I always have something awkward happen and and then show show the 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 thoughts and feelings of of the people in in response to that. Like I don't want to read about perfect people with no insecurities having sex because it just fills me with rage. So, um, <laughs> so, so whenever, you know, and, and cowboy come home, you know, Claire gets her, her jeans stuck halfway down, they get stuck on her thighs. And then she ends up hanging over the side of a loft bed with her pants halfway down and she's stuck and Ford um, gives himself a freaking concussion banging his I was going to say again. there was some concussive sex in this book. There was some head injuries. Yes. And, um, 
so I always have stuff like that. And, and in Big Bad Cowboy, you know, Travis does that little strip tease, but the whole time he's like really worried about looking stupid. So, um, and then of course we have the cat interfering. Oscar causes a lot of problems there early, early on. Well, that's what cats do. Yeah. But I feel like if, if a sex scene can't be used to, again, uh, show vulnerability and, um, help us connect with um, the characters and ways that, that they share our anzieties and our neuroses, you know, yeah. then I, then I feel like what's it there for? Because again, we all know, we all know what happens. You can't just have it happen because it's time. Because right. You're at this point in the book, you have to do something to really, I hope, um, engage the reader to where they're really just loving these people and they can, they can laugh at them and with them during the most intimate, vulnerable moments. So I think that's why, that's why I just like to put a little bit of awkward in there. (laughs) It sounds like you really think about what is happening on a sort of meta level in a romance as you're writing it. What is this scene doing? What are these characters doing as they walk through this scene? What, What is actually happening? It sounds like you put a lot of thought into the larger narrative of the stories that you're writing. And do you do that with your reading as well? Um, not so much with my reading. No, I feel like um, I do do it with my writing. I a hardcore, like every scene I'm like, what, what is happening? What is this for? Everything that's happening in the scene, what is it for? Because I'm trying to get these two people to this place. And how is this, how is this helping that? So, so writing is really for me. Um, you know, I keep seeing people right now saying, Oh, it's my escape. I can't wait to get back to my manuscript. It's my escape from, from real life. Um, Mm -hmm. right now. And for me, it's not, it's work. It's a, a lot of, it's a lot of work. And I have the attention span of a gnat right now. Like I have no, no ability to focus. Excuse me. So it's a lot of work and I do put a lot of thought into every single scene. When I read, thank God, no, I don't. I just, I'm just like everybody else. It's pure escapism. You tell me something's happening. I'm going to believe it. (laughs) And um, so I don't really read that way. And I guess when the book's good, you don't really notice any of that or pay attention to it anyway. You should be totally lost in it. Mm -hmm. I know that you just said that, um, Writing is difficult, which it really is. Are you working on a book right now? I am working on a book right now, and it's due really, really soon. And you've um, got this. You could do it. You've got that's it. That's probably why I wake up with the F word every morning. But um, <laughs> that's, that's part of it. But yeah, so I am writing um, a book right now. It's the third book in the series, and the heroine is Alice, the librarian. Bo Montgomery is the hero, one of the Montgomery twins. Oh yay! Yeah, yeah. I was hoping they would get a happy ending. They, they they seem like very decent dudes. Yeah, they they are. They're the best guys. And Alice used to babysit them, so I'm having fun with that. Yeah, she's a little bit older than Bo, and um, she used to be their babysitter. It got down to all the babysitters in town quit because the twins were so horrible. They got down to one 13-year-old obnoxious know-it-all named Alice. And yep. Bo has been secretly pining for Alice all this time. So, 
Ah, the wonderful scent of pining fresh hero. Yes, yes. One of my favorites. Yes. And and when you're in a town that small, you you may indeed end up dating your babysitter. That's just how it is. That is how it is. As long as you're not blood related beyond maybe your great aunt, it's all good. So what are you reading or what have you read that you would want to tell people about? Well, right now at this moment, I have a huge list of books that are just clawing at me and scratching at me, but I'm, I'm trying to stay away from my Kindle until I hit my, my deadline. But of course I can't totally. And I just, um, I read, I just read, um, Rebecca Weatherspoon's, uh, cowboy romance. Um, I just finished that one. I actually took that one on vacation with me before this whole lockdown started. And um, I just started The Bride Test. And I finished um, Pippa Grant's Liar, Liar. I can't remember. There's more to that title. Liar, Liar. I want to say Pants on Fire. Hearts on Fire. Liar, Liar, Hearts on Fire. Oh, well played. My brain can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Her titles are so clever. Like Hot Air, but it's H-E-I-R. Like, she's always so clever with her titles. (laughs) And, um, and she's just funny. So um, those are what I've been reading. And I've got so many that I want to read. I just I just bought Happy Ever After Playlist. And I can't wait to start it because I love the friend zone. And um, as soon as I turn this book in, I'm just going to lock myself away and read for a week. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Because that's the weird thing about writing. I think most of us start writing because we're such huge readers and we just love to read so much. And then when you're when you're really working on deadline, it's really hard. And it's hard. It's hard for 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 me. Like it's it's time. You know, I have five kids plus I'm trying to write a book, so finding time to read is hard. But more than that, too, like um, I don't like to have my voice affected while I'm writing. And yeah. I get totally lost in books, like totally lost. I become, I become the book. And so, um, so it's hard for me to snap out of like, um, Pippa's book to then jump back into Carly's book and not drag a little bit of Pippa with me, you know? So, um, so when I get down to the wire, to the nitty gritty, like I am right now, where I'm just writing all day, every day. It's, it's more than just not having time. Like I'm trying to resist the call because I don't. I need to stay in my own imaginary world right right now. I get it. I totally understand that. <laughs> yeah. But I always, I like funny books. I'm always going to read books where, where um, there's humor involved. Yeah. That makes I don't sense. care so much about subgenre. Like I don't care if it's sports. I don't care if it's cowboys. I don't care if it's, you know, Navy SEALs, billionaire. I, I just like character driven stories. So as long as, as I relate to the characters, I don't care what the setting is. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for inviting me to hang out with you. You can find Carly Bloom on her website at carlybloombooks.com and on Twitter at carlybloombooks. I will have a link to the homemade book cover, which Wilbur, as you can hear, supports mightily in the show notes at smartpitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. 
And if you would like to get in touch with me, perhaps your cat would like to talk to my cat who is talking to me right now, you can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave a message and tell me a bad joke at one 371 I love hearing from you, so please don't be shy and email me anytime. Now, I always end with a bad joke, but before I end with the bad joke, I want to remind you this episode is brought to you by Into Her by J.A. Huss, available now at audible.com. And I have a sample of this book after this part, which is called the outro, which if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know, is totally a real word, despite what my husband says. Although he agrees now because Scrabble says so, not me, Scrabble. Anyway, Into Her is an erotic menage with a lot of heat and a lot of angst from New York Times and USA Today bestselling author J.A. Huss. Hitmen AJ and Logan are professional monsters, and spending a sexy night stranded with their Mark Yvette was not in the plan. But one night changes everything, and they soon find themselves plotting a way out of the job and out of the mob. You will hear in this sample that AJ, Logan, and Yvette are brought to life by Savannah Peachwood, Teddy Hamilton, and Tad Branson, and reviews online are extremely positive. So you get a free sample. You can find the audiobook now by Into Her at J.A. Huss on audible.com. And stay tuned after the talkie part here, because I have a sample of this here audiobook. I always end with a bad joke. Are you ready for the bad joke? It's really bad. Really, really bad. Okay, you ready? <clears throat> what do you call two monkeys who share an Amazon Prime account? What do you call two monkeys who share an Amazon Prime account? Primates. <laughs> Poo. <laughs> so dumb. I love it. <laughs> you know, if you want to send me your bad jokes, I love having them because this is my favorite thing to do each week. So on behalf of everyone here, including Wilbur, who is jumping around my office while I try to record. Thanks a lot, buddy. We wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. Stay safe and stay surrounded by all the best baked goods. And thank you again for inviting me to hang out with you for a little while. I hope this episode has taken your mind off things that are very concerning. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. And remember, stay tuned. I have an audiobook sample just for you. But you might want to put on headphones. It's a little spicy. The bell above the door jingles, and a rush of wind blows the snow in. Two men come with it. Shit, I sigh under my breath. I was just getting ready to close. All the tourists from the nearby ski resort went home early this morning to beat the storm, and the bar has been dead since lunch. Apparently, these two didn't get the memo. I'm just saying, the tall, rough one with the blonde hair says, it's just a fantasy. The other one looks right at me and growls, Would you shut the fuck up? In a very low, very threatening whisper that makes my stomach clench for some reason. 
He's talking to his friend, not me, so I don't know why I have that reaction. But then again, I know why. It irritates me, though. They both take a seat at the bar while I glance at my phone so I can pretend I've got some very important text conversation going. I even pretend to type. Normally, I'd be hospitable and welcoming, but I'm not feeling very normal today. I've had too much to drink, too much time to think, and I'm tired. The storm has been brewing just down the mountain for most of the day, so I've got no cell service and no internet. But I'm nothing if not a pretender. My lies have been such a part of me for so long, this comes second nature. I'm also pretty good at improvising. My bar, the Snow Bunny, is the only stop on the western side of the mountain until you get all the way down to Pagosa Springs. In the winter, we are super busy Thursday afternoon through Sunday afternoon, especially when the snowpack at Wolf Creek Ski Area is this awesome. Lots of locals come in during the week, too. Plow guys, truckers, local cops, male people, or male person, since we only have one up here. But it's Sunday evening now. The snow has been falling steadily for almost four straight days, and it's supposed to pick up as the final front comes through overnight. Anyone with sense has probably decided enough is enough and gone home. So I've been bored, just counting down the minutes until I can close. And now I'm annoyed with the two strangers who just walked into my bar and ruined my plans. At just under 12,000 feet in elevation, people who live and work up here pretty much do whatever the fuck they want, whenever the fuck they want to do it. And I count myself one of them. That's the perk of living on the top of a mountain in the middle of a dangerous switchback pass. There's no other reason why anyone would bother with all the inconveniences of living in such an isolated place. Well, there are two other reasons, really. One, they are ski bums. They live, breathe, and eat skiing. That's mostly who lives up here in the winter. But the locals aren't ski bums. We're here for reason number two. We want to be left alone. These two who just walked in are not locals. I know that for sure, because I know everyone around here, and they know me. When I look up at them again, they're having a tense, whispered conversation. I decide to move things along and say, Can I get you something? The rough one drags his eyes off his friend to stare at me. His blue eyes are too blue, the kind of blue you see in photographs when someone's gone a little crazy with the Photoshop, the kind of blue that draws you in and makes you speechless, the kind of blue that puts you under a spell so you can't look away and warns you not to look, all in the same moment. What, I say, because I don't fall for spells, I don't get lost in the eyes of strange men, and I take looks of warning very seriously. He smiles, and the spell evaporates. Thought so, motherfucker. He holds up two fingers and a V sign and says, Two jacks, no ice. I nod and turn away to grab glasses, put them on the bar, and pour them each two fingers of jack. Then I look at the other one, the suit guy, and slide the glasses over to them, keeping my distance. 
30 bucks. The suit guy glances up at the chalkboard above my head with the drink prices, then lifts an eyebrow at me. Like, really? But I don't care. If I overcharge them, they'll get their shit together and leave. Get off this damn mountain while they still can and leave me alone. Blue Eyes pulls a 50 out of his wallet and throws it down. Keep it all, he says, then tucks his wallet into his pants and turns away to whisper at his friend so I can't hear. Whatever. I grab the 50, shove it in my apron pocket, and walk around the other side of the bar so I can start stacking chairs on tables, dropping a not-so-subtle hint that they should drink their jack and get the fuck out. We've done it before, I catch blue eyes saying. What's the big deal? I glance over as I stack my chairs and find suit guy looking right at me. He says, this is different. This is fucking business. And then as he continues to stare at me, he downs his drink in one gulp and says, another. I already don't like him, and this is starting to piss me off. But I have found that when people put on a power display like he's doing now, it's much easier to go along amicably. It gives people the opportunity to forget you, to move on, to take that attention you didn't mean to draw and focus it somewhere else. So I smile, nod, and walk behind the bar, grab the bottle, and meet his expectations. You as well? I ask Blue Eyes. He hasn't touched his drink. But he lifts it to his lips now, shoots me a wink, and then downs it like his friend. Sure, he says, sliding his glass towards me. I pour and slide it back. Just come on, man, he says, looking at me. It'll be fun. And I'm thinking, what? But he's not talking to me, he's talking to Suit Guy. Not tonight, his friend growls.